This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford and we're back. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back with you today and we're going to hit the ground running. I have new equipment and new ideas that we're going to slowly roll out. Not all of them may stick around, but I'm not going to change the traditional format. Just you and me talking about a particular subject. I've got lots of emails from you that as one listener told me last week, when I go out for just a few minutes to get my head on straight, I very often got you in my ear. That's so amazing to me, and I'm very honored. So as so many of you who've been listening know, I want to reach three groups of you. Those of you who are very comfortable with psychological and emotional issues, maybe you're already in therapy yourself, to those of you who've just been diagnosed and you're looking for answers, but also to some of you who might never think you would darken a therapist's door, but you're just curious enough to listen to self-work. With all that said, the interviews with John Moe and Terry Chaney were very well received, so I'm going to continue to look for really special guests to feature. I want only the best for you, and speakers who have something to offer you that I may not have. I also want to take this moment to thank the now almost 850 people who've rated or reviewed self-work on Apple Podcasts, and the nearly 125 that reviewed my book Perfectly Hidden Depression on Amazon. As I've said, you are my best marketing team. So I ask you as we approach this winter and the challenges it will bring that you tell a friend about self-work. We all need support right now, and I'd love to be a part of that for you and yours as best I can. So onward to today. I've been surprised over the years about things people believe about alcohol use that's very old school. For example, that for the use of alcohol to be a problem, you've got to be lying in a ditch somewhere, having lost your job and friends. Or if you can go a long time without drinking, then you don't have an issue. We're going to be talking about all of these things in the following episode of Self Work, once again, sponsored by BetterHelp. The listener email is one today letting me know that I'd missed the mark for her in a blog post that I wrote. So I'm going to answer her in all candid honesty, and I was glad to hear what she had to say. So today we're going to be trying to talk about alcohol, something we've never talked about on self-work. When both my parents died in 2007, right before Christmas actually, both of them, My husband and I did a lot of driving in between my home in northern Arkansas to theirs in the southern part of the state. However, often I was alone as he stayed behind to keep our son's life going strong. My mother had struggled with anxiety and in her later years especially never gave away anything. Closets were jammed with clothes, some new but some from many years ago. We even found their honeymoon luggage, which I recognized from old pictures, quite dilapidated, but sitting in their very hot, musty attic. There were newspaper clippings, party dance cards from the 1940s, all kinds of letters, and of course, pictures. It was exhausting work. I remember first feeling as if I was stealing from them as we hauled off truckload after truckload of things that were far too old to be used by anyone else. And gradually, the house became a shadow of its former self, with empty drawers and shelves, rooms stripped of furniture, but not memories. 
As I drove back home, I was often so very full of emotion that I'd kept at bay while working where I wouldn't have been able to get anything done. And I discovered country music. I'd never listened to it before. There were so many My Daddy Died songs or talking about Mama's cooking or Mama's love, and my tears would flow freely. Now, this isn't a post about cleaning out your parents' house or grieving. It's about alcohol and denial, so let me get back to the point. I've learned in the past 13 years that country music is also full of permission to drink and drink a lot for almost any problem. From the Jimmy Buffett's famous It's Five O'Clock Somewhere, which was actually one of my mother's favorite things to say, to a much more recent song called Alcohol by Brad Paisley, who, by the way, is a non-drinker, interestingly enough. Paisley talks about alcohol somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Well, I've been known to cause a few breakups, and I've been known to cause a few births. I can make you new friends or get you fired from work. Yet so many people whose lives have been painfully affected by booze aren't laughing. Research shows that one out of every eight people in the United States fit criteria for alcohol use disorder, as it's called now. It can cause all kinds of pain for both the drinker and those that love them. Especially, curiously, for those who are high-functioning drinkers, people whose lives look quite intact socially and or professionally, who's quite successful and engaged in their own right, yet they drink a lot. Whether it's part of family gatherings, the music you listen to, game day celebrations, or if you drink to celebrate and drink to grieve, it can be detrimental to just about everything about you if you overuse. And what remains astounding is how easy it is to deny that it's a problem. Before we move more deeply into that, here's a new message from me and BetterHelp and a special offer they have for you as a self-work listener. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self-Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone, and I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast, Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now, and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. TryBetterHelp.com slash selfwork. That's TryBetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe BetterHelp is your next step. 
Of course, the pandemic has only worsened this problem. ABC reports that a study released by the RAND Corporation and supported by the NIAAA, which is the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, compared adults' drinking habits last year, 2019, to now. They surveyed a little more than 1,500 adults across a nationally representative panel, and the participants were asked about their shift in consumption between spring of 2019 and spring of 2020. Respondents were presented with 15 possible negative outcomes and asked to identify which were true for them. Things like, I felt guilty or ashamed because of my drinking, I've taken foolish risks, my family has been hurt by my drinking, things like that. There was a significant increase for both genders in 2020, which is not hard to believe. They said it's a perfect drug for women in particular in a lot of ways. It makes you feel braver, empowered, strong. I'm quoting here. It's a pain management system, and it's a forgetting drug. And a lot of us are in a place where we just don't want to think a lot right now. And as far as women go, a lot of them are bearing the biggest burden of dealing with both work and added domestic stresses, homeschooling, child care, keeping the household from falling apart, a glass of wine or two or three, mother's little helper. That's socially acceptable. There again is denial. Yet even before this pandemic, I can't tell you how much pain I've seen in the eyes of my patients who understood from a very early age that it was more important for a parent or parents to have beer in the fridge than it was food, or ones whose sexual or physical abuse was the inevitable consequence of a parent getting drunk and hearing the pop of a can or ice being poured into a glass was the sign it was coming. So the smell of alcohol can, for years into the future, be a significant trigger for anxiety or fear. Then there are others that when they were 9, 10, 11, they were driving dad or mom home from the bar where they'd been all night. Then their duty was to make sure the other kids had breakfast and got on the bus for school. As many have said, I didn't have a childhood. I remember one man told me, laughingly but ironically, I had great parents until 5 o'clock. So how do you tell how bad your drinking is or someone you love? By the number of classic symptoms present. And in fact, research shows that the more high-functioning drinkers I was talking about, there are about 20% of those that would meet criteria. Again, I'll have all these stats in your show notes. It's divided into three levels. Mild, where you have two to three symptoms present. Moderate, four to five symptoms present. And severe, six or more. But I want to stress that these symptoms, these criteria, aren't all about quantity. So many people believe it's only about quantity. It's also about how the alcohol affects what you do, who you do it with, how much time you spend thinking about it, craving it. So we'll go through these symptoms very quickly. Number one, alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. Number two, there's a persistent desire or unsuccessful effort to cut down or control alcohol use. Number three, a great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. This, for example, might be seen in someone who knows they're going somewhere where alcohol is not going to be served, so they make sure they've got it in their car, or they make sure they've got some on them. So they have to plan their lives around alcohol. Number four is a craving or a strong desire or urge to use alcohol. Number five, 
recurrent alcohol use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. I want to say that again, at work, school, or home, meaning that you just don't have to have work difficulties. You can have academic difficulties, social difficulties, or difficulties in your family. Number six, continued alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or worsened by the effects of alcohol. This means that if your partner or your kids are saying, Daddy, don't drink, or your wife or your husband is saying, Honey, I'm really getting worried. You drinking is having a terrible effect on us, and you continue to use, that's a problem. Important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use. Number eight is recurrent alcohol use in situations in which it's physically hazardous. Number nine, continued use despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol. Now, the problem here is sometimes when they say knowledge, Alcohol use is the big elephant in the room, and no one talks about it because they're scared to. Number 10, there's tolerance. Basically, what that is is a need for markedly increased alcohol to achieve intoxication, or it has a markedly diminished effect just using the same amount of alcohol. So there's tolerance, and then there's withdrawal, where you see the characteristic withdrawal symptoms for alcohol, anything from tremor and sweating to hallucinations and seizures, or you drink or use a closely related substance such as the benzodiazepine to relieve or avoid withdrawal symptoms. You know, I actually had a man and his wife come to my office several years ago. She had convinced him to finally come to a psychologist. It was at 9 or 10 in the morning, and the man had already sadly been drinking. And he said, I want your help. I looked at him and said, I wish I could help you. But he had been describing to me that he was having seizures trying to withdraw from alcohol. There was no way that I could safely or any outpatient therapist could safely help him. And his wife was furious with me. But sometimes you have to look at someone and say, you need medical attention in order to actually get off of alcohol. Because his withdrawal was so intense. Self-work is all about what you can do about it, right? So... If you're the drinker, what do you have to do? People in AA say you have to hit your bottom. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. But I looked at the people from One Year No Beer, which is a trending sobriety model, and they suggested these things. Write down your goal of One Year No Beer and then visualize it. Actually see yourself sober. I read a book years ago about moderation in alcohol use, and they talked about you have to want to know what it feels like To be sober or to have one drink, one glass of wine maybe, you have to want to know what that feels like more than you want the high of overuse of alcohol. So you have to visualize it. You set your stop drinking goals. You start a journal. You clear your home of alcohol. You plan alcohol-free days. You keep busy. You tell your friends and family. And you're consistent. Again, I'll have the link to One Year No Beer In my show notes, you know, the clear your home of alcohol, Milton Erickson used to tell an interesting story. He was a famous therapist, actually hypnotherapist, but he told this story a lot, how a man had come into him to see him about several problems and Erickson knew he drank too much. And so he just said to him, hey, listen, where do you get your booze? 
He said, oh, there's a liquor store on my way home. And Erickson said, well, if you're going to get alcohol, why don't you go to this one? And they, he named some liquor store in the community. Oh, no problem. Well, basically, you can probably read between the lines. Every session or so, Erickson would ask him, since alcohol isn't a problem, do you mind going here and here? And it was further and further away from his trip home. Well, gradually, the man stopped drinking so much because it was actually out of his way. And he wanted accountability with Erickson. He wanted to be able to look at Erickson and say, no, I didn't get any alcohol at that close liquor store. So he was actually helping the man stop to drink without him really accepting that it was a problem. Now, that's a nice story, and that might not work for many people. But it highlights the idea that sometimes if you just make it less convenient, then it will help you stop. So let's talk about some of the organizations that are out there. There's AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, as I've mentioned before, and Celebrate Recovery. These are support groups for people who need daily support and help in order to not drink. AA follows a 12-step program, which are steps they believe in strongly in maintaining sobriety and actually beginning to dig into what your problems are with blaming and victimization and other things. You have to make amends. They highly recommend you say you don't have any power over alcohol and that you have to have help. But both these programs make sponsors available who will guide you and serve as a way for you to look around your life and try to find out not only what your triggers are to drink and the why, but how to work through emotions or experiences that act to fuel that desire. There are also therapists who have a special certification called KADAC, C-A-D-A-C. They're certified alcohol and drug addiction counselors that have special training in addictions, and that's a great choice to make. And of course, there are countless rehabilitation centers where insurance will cover usually at least 30 days of treatment. But all of these take a lot of focus and effort. What if you're trying to love someone actively engaging in alcoholic behavior? Perhaps the best choice I know is to attend Al-Anon meetings, meetings that welcome anyone who finds themselves in this situation. I've always understood their goal is not to influence you whether to stay or go in the relationship, but how to handle yourself and your choices, especially any that may enable the alcoholic to continue drinking. What is enabling? It's highly tied into what's called codependency. And here's a quote from an article I found. Codependency is sometimes known as relationship addiction because neither person can function well without the other. Problems arise when one person takes advantage of another and the relationship gradually becomes emotionally harmful. Enabling is a sign of codependency in which one person who acts as a caretaker or rescuer enables another person to continue their destructive behavior, and in this case, it's drinking. Enablers continually try to fix the problem or they ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. For instance, a wife may make excuses or call the boss when her husband is too hungover to come to work. A friend may bail a buddy out of jail, or a parent may pay the rent or buy groceries for a grown child with a substance abuse problem. Now again, these are not your high-functioning drinkers. These are your probably more moderate and severe drinkers, but high-functioning drinkers can have enabling partners as well. They're great books. Two of them are called Codependent No More and Facing Codependence, and I'll have the links to those in my show notes And I actually have an episode on codependency, which I'll also include. It's episode 58. Now, if you're an adult with a past where parents or a parent drank, there's a support group called ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. And that is a very structured group and very helpful to many people. 
So even if your parent is still a big drinker, even if around you everyone drinks or your spouse drinks, you can get help and support. And with this pandemic going on, you certainly don't want alcohol use to gain a grip in your life where it's highly destructive. There's a helpline, 1-800-662-4357. It's the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline. That number again, 1-800-662-4357. It will give you information on support and treatment facilities in your area. Our listener email today is from someone who was very honest with me when they left me this message. Hi, this is Anna Maria in Atlanta, Georgia. I had looked up 58 and aging and came across your site. I didn't find anything useful, but very um, lighthearted and wonderful. But as a recent widow at 58 and aging, and I don't feel like I'm aging that well, you were very clever and funny, but didn't help me so much. So I'm going to try your other online, uh, whatever you've got going on, I'll try. I'm trying everything these days. I'm so not doing that great. (laughs) So anyway, I just thought I'd give you my feedback. Lovely, lovely, cute, funny, not helpful. But anyway, uh, I'll keep trying. Thanks. Bye. So after I heard this, I googled turning 58, and there it was, my blog post on the subject. In fact, it was second in the list, which sort of shocked me, actually. It was a humorous post, for sure. I reread it. Here's an excerpt. And I was talking about turning 58 myself. Plus, everything is shrinking. I am shrinking. I used to be all of five feet, four inches. Now I'm barely a whopping five, three, maybe in a quarter. Restaurant menus challenge, which is when I need my reading glasses that I can't find. Packaging is shrinking, or at least getting so damn hard to open that it takes a rocket scientist to figure it out. I am Phi Beta Kappa, which should, of course, impress you. But sometimes trying to open a recent techno gadget brings me to tears. I usually end up banging it on the counter in utter frustration. The plastic is too hard to get open. There's so many wires to cut. I feel like I'm engaging in a crime. Things that are not shrinking? My feet. My ears and nose. Some would probably say my ego. (laughs) My waistline. Definitely not my waistline. I've been suffering from lack of waist since childbirth. Oh, well. It was worth it. And, of course, menopause added to the fashionable rectangular look. End of excerpt. So, I heard this reader's comment, and she's right. The whole tone of this piece was meant to be funny. And I guess it's a compliment that she found it so. Although what I felt from her was that because I'm a psychologist, she was looking for some other kind of advice for me. First, I hope she found what she's looking for, either in my own work or in the work of others. I was a little confused that she didn't recognize from the first paragraph that this was not a serious piece and go on and look for something else. But, you know, let's take that at face value. After all, she may not be thinking. She just may be desperate for help. And she's angry. I can only imagine how angry you are when you've loved someone and they die way before you expect them to. You're facing aging alone. Finances change. Everything changes. You're facing many years without the partner that you've shared so much with that was supposed to grow old with you. Actually, have a blogger friend who is going through this right now. Her husband went for a run, his daily run, and he died. 
so she's constantly in my thoughts. And it's okay that this reader can be angry at me for not having that kind of loss when I was 58 or giving her advice. I get it. It's not fair at all that I'm laughing and she is not. In her life, there's little that's funny or witty. I hope she'll be better. I hope she's found help. And she could be angry with that article and even with me. She looked to me for help and didn't get what she needed. I get it. Bad things happen to good people. And she's a good person. And this has happened to her. Thank you so much for being a part of self-work today. I said it before and I'll repeat. I'm so glad to be back here with you. I did have very successful cataract surgery while I was gone and I now have two eyes that actually can see the computer screen without readers. That's fantastic. (laughs) And thank you to those of you who reached out to me specifically to ask how I was doing. As I said in the intro, We're going to continue things as normal, but I also have something very exciting to tell you. I've done an interview with Lewis Howes, who is a eminent podcaster, and he's going to be coming on in the next couple of weeks with our discussion on his sexual abuse, what made him talk about it, and how it has affected his life. I hope that will be helpful. If you have topics you'd like for me to discuss, please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com, or if you just have a question... You can also leave a SpeakPipe comment on my website or in the show notes. That's where you can find the SpeakPipe feature. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can go there and subscribe or subscribe here on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. But when you subscribe to my website, you actually will get a weekly newsletter that includes both a podcast and my weekly blog post. So that's a really easy way to keep up with me. I'm over on Instagram at drmargaretrutherford. Love to have you over there. I have a professional Facebook page, again, Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and of course my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore if you want to give them some business, some probably much-needed business. You know, it's really for people who are needing to feel in control of everything, whether they call themselves a perfectionist or not. And there are over 60 exercises to help you do just that. What's been amazing to me is that reviews keep coming in even a year after the book is out. So that tells me people are doing the exercises and reading it, which I am very, very honored by. And so excited that the message is getting out. Thank you as always for being here. Take very good care in these turbulent times. Be safe and healthy. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.